0: Good morning, guys. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, And uh, this morning, uh, if you're new, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, We normally, our MO is to go through books in the Bible. We believe that the Bible should be taught that way, that you should go verse through verse, um, chapter by chapter, and, and kind of teach what it tells us to teach. And and, and we avoid topical uh, teaching usually, um, but we do believe sometimes it can be helpful. Um, And this morning is is one of those things. Um, Since we've started in February, we've been going through the book of Mark, um, and we've only taken uh, a couple breaks. And uh, this morning is going to be our third one in that. And the the breaks, how they were lined up is in the summer, we we felt like there were some things that needed to be addressed um, from the culture's point of view and and our relationship to that culture. So kind of a faith and culture interaction. and, And we just decided to call it For the People, which if you don't know what that term is. Uh, that's the definition of the word politics. So we, we wanted to address three political issues. We wanted to address, um, race, which obviously is huge right now, big conversation. And so we did that in August and September, we talked about homosexuality and the gay marriage issue. And this morning we're going to talk about, um, the pro-life and pro-choice, um, deal. And so, uh, yeah, that that's, uh, how it's going to go. I I don't have a lot of time, so I'm, I'm actually going to jump right in and, uh, um, and say this outright. There's actually three things that I need to say before we get to the sermon, because the sermon is going to be a lot different. I'm, I'm just going to give us five points, and I'm not a real uh, linear dude, as I said many times, so, um, uh, and I don't like notes at all, um, which gets me in trouble, but these notes are going to keep me here. Um, and last time I did this on the, the homosexuality conversation, we went well over an hour, so um, let's hope that doesn't happen again. Um, here's the first thing I want to say just very quickly. Um, we are a church talking about this issue. Now, uh, statistics are correct, it's the first time in 14 years that um, uh, there are more people who are pro-choice than there are pro-life. And that means, um, specifically, um, my generation, the 18 to 30-year-olds, as I'm a 30-year-old, um, uh, the millennial generation, we are, th- those stats are much higher, closer to the 70 and 80 percent. And, and as someone who is advocately, unequivocally, unashamed, um, and will try to argue for the next 35, 40 minutes um, um, being pro-life, um i understand that in a lot of ways uh, i and, and some of you are in the minority and and um i understand that and and with that being said i need to make this crystal clear um because uh, I think sometimes these conversations can get out of hand. This, this, con- this conversation and debate isn't even allowed in most colleges. Most professors won't allow this thing. You're allowed to kind of cause a debate. Most professors won't allow it because it, it gets too out of hand. And so this is not, I need to be cl- clear on this, this is not a pro-life rally, okay? We are a church talking about this. If you cannot or do not feel like you can control yourself, I will have KJ. Where's my man KJ? Okay, KJ, you need a flex? Do you need a flex for everyone right now? Okay. I will have KJ lovingly remove you from the building, okay? Um, and 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 here's 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 why, okay? Because um, I, I'm not, though I do have an agenda. Um, ultimately, um, I, I'm not trying to like debunk Planned Parenthood. I I, I am, I am angry. I am angry. At all that is going on in Planned Parenthood and, and have been angry for a long time. I'm angry that I have to pay taxes. Yes, all of that is true, but this is not about Planned Parenthood. We are not talking about Planned Parenthood right now, so that's not what this topic is about. I'm not going to show you a bunch of um, pictures of fetuses on tables or stats. I'm not going to do any of that. That is not what this time is for. My goal is, is very clear. Um, I want us as a church to open our eyes to what I wholeheartedly believe to be a deceiving um, act of the devil in shading so many people. And I hope to logically, biblically, and scientifically show you what is true. And, and hopefully, in, uh, for those of you who are pro-choice, at least see um, a glimpse into a little bit as why we hold um, to the this, this stance that we do. Now, with that said, I need you to understand my um, state in all of this, okay? And I'm going to be real quick on this because I don't have a terrible amount of time. But, um i don't i don 't like talking about this, and it 's not that i don 't like talking about it because i can 't feel like I'm bold. Um, i 'm bold i don 't like talking about it because i don 't want to f- uh, fight for those who don 't have a voice, but i don 't like talking about it because mentally and i 'm not being overdramatic here this topic has um, really messed me up for a long time uh, about five to six years ago, um, I was really introduced to this whole world of um, child prostitution and slavery and abuse um, and abortion. At the time, I was reading with Brandon this the J.C. Dugard story and her, and then I was reading The Shack, and it was terrible. We just had Corbin, and it was just all this kind of whirlwind of, of um, just seeing what's going on in the world, and it messed me up really bad. I, for six years, I'd get up at 2.30 a.m. every night, and um, I would pray, and I would check our windows and doors. I, I became extremely anxious, and um, I hated i hated it what, what this topic did to me. I hated um, that eventually I would have conversations with pro-choice people, and it would infuriate me, and I would be so mad. And so um, about two years ago, I had to shut down completely um, on this topic. Um, and what I mean by that is instead of, you know, with a fight-or-flight model, um, I f- fled. I, 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 I did flight, and, and, and um, I can't, and Candace has been an awesome wife in this, I can't... Um, I can't look at the news when it talks about this stuff. I can't listen or watch videos. I might be the only person in the room um, who I haven't watched one second of those Planned Parenthood videos, the, the, the five that have come out, um, and, and I, I'm sure they're, I just can't. Immensely, it messes me up. Now, I say that because I need you to understand where I'm coming from, because though I can come up and be passionate and soup, I'm not a real, like, sad, emotional guy. I've cried one time since we've been married because I'm a grown man, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is not how we view manhood. Um, But, but I just, that's just how I am. I'm not, I'm not that type of dude. Um, But this makes me feel super emotionally fragile. Okay. And I'm just being super candid with you. So you can understand my kind of place in all this, this, emotionally messes me up. And I've tried to um, process this over the last months and how to come about that. And I want you guys to know that that's coming coming um, from, from that, that place. So um, take it or leave it for whatever it's worth. Um, I'm stealing something from A.W. Tozer's playbook. He says uh, a man in these situations needs to be hot-hearted and cool-headed. And, and I want to be very stable and, and understand my heart burns on this issue. And I know we haven't talked about it a lot because uh, um, Mark hasn't brought it up, but this is something that is very important to us. But I also want to be cool-headed, and I feel like... Um, these notes are going to keep me there. Um, here's, here's the thing as we go into this. I, I want to say this before we get into this, the sermon, the five points. And I'm going to give us four ways to respond. Um, I'm going to go a little long, but, but not too long to, to, um, to carry us out of this. So, so here's, here's the, the first thing I want to say. If you know my background, you know that I grew up poor. And um, when I became about a middle school or high school student, when I was a, a teenager, I didn't really have parents. Um, and because of that, there were a couple women who really stepped in as a mom figure um, to me, who one adopted me, mother-in-law, mother-in-law. Um, Another woman who's a pastor's wife and um, uh, my mentor's wife, they really stepped in and and really helped me a lot. And uh, um, what I know to be true, at least three of those four women have had an abortion. And uh, I, I want to speak very quickly to those of you who have had an abortion as we go into this because usually what happens is when this conversation is talked about in the church, um, the guy gets up and, and, and he'll say, I, some of you guys have had an abortion and we just want you to know you're loved, which is all true, but there's no um, resignation. There's no, um, like, you don't feel like I'm resonating at all with um, the weight of what you've done and what you feel. And so I, I want to be clear um, uh, as to what what has happened and, and then make a, a statement that's real important for that you to hear. Um, if you are in this room and you have had had an abortion, um, your thoughts, um, and, and, and how you feel and that you have committed an unbelievable, unbelievable sin. You have taken an innocent life and you have murdered it. And that life did nothing to you. That was an innocent child and you chose to be God. You, you have murdered like a heinous evil you have participated in. And, and, and it's despicable, um, it's awful. Uh, I believe at the core of who I am, God is unbelievably unpleased with that act. And it's, 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 I can go on and on, right? Okay, but here's what I need you to understand. And I say this thinking of those women who've stepped into my life. I need you to know that of all the things that it is, if you are a Christian, the shame and the guilt that you feel, you need to understand that act is forgiven. You, you need to understand that that the shame and the guilt that you live in, you, you allow the serpent to come in and, 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 and tell you these lies. But hear me, you are not going to stand before your son and daughter one day and they're going to have animosity towards you. They're not going to be angry with you. They're not going to be upset with you. Hear me, right now, they are perfectly in the hands of the creator, the very creator that created you and is taking care of you. Hear me when I say this. They and he, if you are under the banner of Jesus Christ, are not upset with you. They're not. So please, for whatever it's worth, um, know, and I, I, need you to, I need to say this as much as it puts a damper on the room, um, because I'm going to give us five points as to why I believe um, that that act is evil and is heinous. And if I don't address you first, I don't want you to go through this whole thing feeling that guilt Jesus died. You, you are not further than the hand of God. That is covered by what he has done. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Be free, man. Be free in that. He's given you that freedom because of the cross. So, um, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to give us five things, and I do have an agenda. And uh, the first one, it was simple. Everyone would agree. Racism is wrong, it's a sin. Uh, the second one wasn't so easy in September, um, as I argued, um, being in the clear minority, that we would believe the act of homosexuality is a sin. And uh, if you have dispute about that, obviously we can chat and you can listen to the sermon, but I did my best to present that. This seems to be a, a little more muddy, um, and I want to pr- put in front of us um, why it's so. And so I'm going to give us five points why I believe this is a big deal and why we as the church um, need to see it for what it is, Okay. Here's the first thing that I want to start with. Um, I, I want us to be aware of how unbelievably awesome, before we go anywhere, the first point is how unbelievably awesome the human being is. Like, I, I don't think you understand with the biblical worldview how crazy it is that a human life is what it is. There is no other creature that exists that, that is born into this world and lives forever. Okay, so you have animals and plants where biblically you could not argue that, that animals live forever. Though there are animals in heaven, the, the animals, as much as you want Chacho, your dog, to be in heaven, that biblically we could not argue that animals live forever. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying we couldn't say the Bible says, yes, they live forever, okay? There, there's no precedent for, for that to be the, the case. Now, angels, though they live forever, Um, we have no biblical evidence to know that they are reproducing at this moment. Human beings are the only ones who continue to come into existence and continue to live forever. That's crazy. Like the cadence of Genesis 1, if you read it, and it's so uh, prevalent in the Hebrew, but you can even see this in English. Day 1, day 2, day 3, and it goes through and there's this rhythm. There's this cadence to what's going on. And then you get to day 6 and the whole rhythm is disturbed. As if to say, the plants are awesome. The animals are awesome. The sky and the earth and the sun and the stars, they're all awesome. But there is something different about this human being who is created in the image of its creator. This is beautiful. The only creature that continues to reproduce and live forever. The only creature that is made in the imago Day, the image of God. This is something that we need to stand back, if nothing else, and go, man, there is value to to human beings. And I think this might be a good point to say, And in general, as we even talk about abortion, um, you you need to, like, I I feel like the most part uh, as a culture, we don't value life in general. And so, um, just if nothing else, to understand that we need to be valuing um, uh, who humans are and what they do. And and this is big, right? Because um, Candace and I moved into a house about four months ago, and our family moved in, and we're all about trees. We want to get off the grid, right? And so, we want to have fruit trees and and all that. So, we got apples and oranges and and lemons, and, and Chris hooked us up. Um, he was a landscaping company and helped us get all that going, and then uh, Tony came over and helped me dig these holes, and we planted these trees, and they're going to be big, and they're going to be awesome, and they're going to provide shade. In a couple months, we're getting chickens. We're getting uh, um, uh, pigs. Well, one pig. Uh, we're getting dogs, cats, bunnies. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Um, all edible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay? So, so here's the deal. In the beauty of all of that, even um, uh, my wife and I and our daughter are going to visit uh, G- uh, Jean's uh, horse stable uh, place this, this last week, seeing how powerful horses, all of these animals, though they are beautiful, though they are awesome, though they are um, um, can love like dogs, right? There's this companionship. They are not on the same level as humans. It's just biblically not the case. Okay. That's the first point. The second point is this, and this is why I think it's also important. Um, until about 30 years ago, the church has always been pro-life. Now, I understand the issue being pro-life and pro-choice. We're both using pros. It doesn't seem to, to match up, and we'll talk about that and politics uh, towards the end, but I just want to say very quickly, um, address this idea that the church, until the last 30 years, has never questioned this issue, that life inside the womb has always been life. So, if you say you are a part of the church, you are part of um, a geographical spreading of people all over the world, and his. historically, Historically, throughout time, everywhere, everyone in all the churches would stand by this stance historically until the last 30 years have always said there has been life within the womb. The, the, the diadach, you can look this up. It's public domain. Um, and, and a book, this is a little letter called the Epistle of Barnabas. We're helping the church. This is in the first century of the earth. The earliest writings, excuse me, the earliest writings that I can find um, in kind of directing the church and how to act like the church. So I get this questions all the time as a pastor, right? Well, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? Well, very early in Christianity, um, they didn't have just the can and the set Bible. So they had these letters to help the church um, know how to act. And this is what the diadach says. Um, and it says pretty much the same thing in the Epistle of Barnabas. It says, you Shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not corrupt boys, you shall not commit fornication, you shall not steal, you shall not deal in magic, you shall uh, do no sorcery, you shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill them when born. This is the earliest thing that I can find um, that shows us very early the church has always seen this two distinct things: you cannot kill a kid once it is born, a child once it 's born, and you cannot kill this child if it is still in the womb. There is the distinction that the church is very um, Uh, Very prevalently making, and and both would be considered life. Now, um, I think life is awesome and the church is always, but the question I think we have to ask is, why does the church affirm this? Why does the church affirm um, and has always affirmed that life begins there? Um, Now, here's the issue. The Bible never specifically talks to the issue of abortion. It never uses the word of word abortion. It never it never talks um, directly to this this idea. As much as we want to play origami with the text, sometimes it's just not there. So the question we have to ask in this big gray area of this long conversation is: You have um, conservatives. Well, we'll just say pro-lifers. On a conservative pro-lifer would say that birth begins at conception, which I would affirm, and, and we'll talk about in a moment. That birth, uh, that life begins at conception, and then you have which ninety nine percent of the world isn't going to argue that once a baby is born. There's a couple like psychos out there who would say once. A baby is born, then it's life. So, so you have everyone on this end, and then some on this end, and the gray area seems to fall somewhere in between, right? So, so we have to go to the Bible and go. Well, how does the Bible view that gray area? How does the Bible see the area from conception to birth? Does it see it as life? What what is it viewing? And 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 I want to read us a couple of texts, which there are many more, um, and then I, I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep going. So this is the, the, thir- the third thing that I want you to see. Um, the first thing that I want you to see though before anything, and I don't think anyone would disagree with this, is that God gives life. Um, you see this obviously in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, if you're not even a Christian and you know that Christians believe in the Bible, you know that the Bible would obviously affirm that God gives life. You see this in um, Job 121. I mean, honestly, there's more than three dozen scriptures that I can point to, but the story in Job, um, Job loses his adult children and then he makes this declaration as, um, as they have just uh, passed. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see this constantly in the text that the Lord gives life. He opens the womb over and over. The Bible affirm that God gives life, which I don't think for the most part, anyone would disagree. The Bible makes that statement. Okay. Um, but there are a couple characters and a couple verses that give us um, even, you know, more of a look into to how we can view this. Like, like, for example, the story of Jacob, even in the womb, this is Hosea 12, three talking about Jacob, even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Okay, now I need you to hear what Hosea is doing. Hosea is talking about this guy, Jacob, and he describes Jacob first in the womb that he fought with his twin brother in the womb. And he says, Jacob, Here, this is, this is a, a big deal. Jacob has always been the same person. He was the same type of person in the womb as he is, Outside of the womb, okay? Uh, we see this, obviously, um, uh, Romans 9, which is a passage ultimately on election, um, says this, but when Rebecca also had conceived at once of Isaac and father, for when the children were not yet born, okay? Now, do, do you hear the nuance there? When the children, their children, their beings, before they were born, when the children were not yet born. Now, I don't think society w- would disagree or culture would disagree with that if we want to keep the kid, right? So if the baby, if we want to, to keep the baby, then it is a child. No one's going to disagree with that, and the Bible would continue to affirm that. The Psalms are crystal clear in this. Um, you started in Psalm 139, which we love to, to put on T-shirts and coffee mugs and put like our newborn babies in, in uh, baskets with yarn and, and then put a meme on there. And this is just weird that we put it. So um, for you forms, my inward parts, you knit, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So here's what we know. We obviously don't believe that God Physically sticks his hands in the womb and with knitting needles starts to knit them together. I'm reading a really great book with Josh Calvona right now, um, called uh, The Language of God by Francis Scott Collins, and it's it's a really good book. He was the Over the Genome Project, and just seeing the way that in this moment God, who he's a Christian in this book, argues that God is using proteins and, and atoms and and neurons and, and and DNA to form this little baby to eventually grow. It's crazy. And this is, though it is happening on a scientific level, God is ultimately in his sovereignty making all these. These things take place, and this is what Psalm is talking. The, the uh, Psalms one thirty nine is talking about. Verse fifteen: My frame was uh, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse sixteen: Hear this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. So, I, what I need you to hear there is he is describing. David is describing himself as an unformed substance. That he is a human being, but he is in the process of becoming what we see ultimately as a human being. That that through this whole course of process, that um, a, a A three-month, let's say a uh, uh, three-month baby in the womb is the same as my two-year-old daughter, is the same as my five-year-old daughter, is the same as my seven-year-old son, is the same as your teenage son, is the same as if you are a college student, it's just a different stage inside someone else. Do you hear the echoing? Uh, uh, Psalm 22, uh, verses 10 through 11. You have been my guide since I was formed. A lot of this form language from my mother's womb. You are my God. Uh, A crazy story is the story of John the Baptist and his birth. Um, John the Baptist is given birth by a woman named Elizabeth. And um, while John the Baptist is in the womb, at one point he jumps when he hears um, uh, Mary's voice, this crazy story. But here's the promise to God, uh, here's the promise to Elizabeth about, um, ab- about, uh, uh, or to Zechariah about. John the Baptist. I'm going to pick it up just in verse 12. When Zachariah saw him, he sees this angel, um, he was startled and was gripping with fear. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Listen to verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So here's what we know, wherever in this gray area, if if you want to say that's at birth alone, what we can see is, in this process, while John the Baptist is in the womb, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me make this clear. Animals are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Angels are not filled with the Holy Spirit. There is one New Testament creature um, that is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is humans. You need a soul, a spirit, to be filled with, with the Holy spirit. And that is exactly how John the Baptist is described. So I, I would argue, and I would put in front of you biblically, that the, the view, the macro level view of, of what we see in life is that the Bible has seen over and over life, just at conception, continuing on from this moment. And I understand you have umpteen arguments and I hope to shut them down in the next couple minutes. Um, so here's, here's what's, what's awesome about this. Um, that sounded a little arrogant. Um, here's what's awesome about this. Uh, as Christians, science has only helped us believe this all the more. So this is one of those issues where um, it's actually the culture that is disagreeing with science. And this is not like an arguable fact. Um, so um, this is, so to prove it, um, I'll stay, stay stable, hot-hearted, cool-headed. Um, The U.S. Senate Committee had had brought this together, brought brought some people together. They brought uh, the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee, invited all these experts in to talk about when life begins at conception. You can look this up. It's public domain. It's Senate Bill 158, the human life bill. They wanted to find out, the government wanted to find out, what does science tell us when life begins, if we're going to wrestle with this. And so they bring a bunch of scientists in to talk about this, pro-lifers, pro-choicers, everyone who's in between, doesn't matter. and, And they came to these conclusions. And I'm going to read you eight of what the scientists said, okay? Now, here's what I need you to know. The majority of what I'm going to read are not Christians. They do not have a religious agenda, some of of which aren't even pro-life. They're just scientists. They were asked to come into a room and talk whether or not science talks about life before birth. And I'm going to read to you what they said. This is direct record. All quotes are from the following excerpt. excerpt. I'm just going to read this as the government record reads it. uh, Dr. Alfred M.B., professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania, stated this. I have learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. I submit that human life is present throughout this entire sequence, from conception to adulthood, and that any interruption at any point throughout the time constitutes a termination of human life. Professor Homie Gordon at Mayo Clinic, he's over the, the Mayo Clinic. By all criteria of modern molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. Professor Michelle Mathis-Roth at Harvard, which if you know anything about Harvard, is um, extremely liberal, Harvard uh, Medical School, it is incorrect to say that biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. Our laws, one function of which is to help preserve the lives of our people, should be based on accurate scientific data. He's really upset. I'm just making him sound that way. Dr. Watson A. Bowes, University of Colorado Medical School. The beginning of a single human life is from a biological point of view, a simple and straightforward matter. The beginning is conception. The straightforward biological fact should not be distorted to serve psychological, uh, sociological, political, or economic goals. Um, We're not done. I'm going to melee you with these. Ashley... um, Ashley Montaga, Montague, M-O-N-T-A-G-U-E. Um, he's a, a geneticist, professor at Harvard and Rutgers. He's actually one of the ones who is super unsympathetic towards the pro-life cause. He nevertheless he affirms this unequivocally. This is his statement, very short. The basic fact is simple: life begins not at birth. But at conception, Uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, he's internationally known for um, starting the NARAL, which is the National Abortion uh, Rights Action League. He opened the largest um, abortion clinic in the Western Hemisphere and was personally presided over 60,000 abortions. As he began to do the scientific work, really going in, um, unbiasedly came to some crazy conclusions. He ends up writing the New England Journal of Medicine, um, deeply troubled. He makes this statement, increasingly uh, a certainty that he had, in fact, presided over the um, 60,000 deaths of humans. This is what he says when he's sitting in this room. Modern technologies have convinced us that, beyond question, the unborn child is simply another human being, another member of human of the human community, indistinguishable in every way from us. He is writing that, saying that in the moment as an atheist, and it gets. We're not done. Doctor Landrum Shettles. He is like the foremost of. Um, uh, he, so he's the one who figured out like uh, male and female sperm and how all that. Like a huge discovery. He's like, he has uh, pictures all over of the last 30 years. If you have a medical book of some type of um, uh, baby in the womb, it's a picture from his labs. He's like the guy to the upper echelon of of all this. And he is definitely not a Christian. Um, uh, Dr. Shettles states this, I oppose abortion. I do so... First, because I accept what is biologically manifest, that a human life commences at the time of conception. And second, because I believe it is wrong to take innocent human life under any circumstance. Then he makes sure to know that he's not religious. My position is scientific, pragmatic, and humanitarian. These are scientists. I'm not like, I'm not making, you can go Google this stuff. I'm not making this up. They're sitting there trying to figure out when does life begin. The Bible seems to go, there's life in the womb. These people are saying there is life in the womb, specifically at conception. At the end of it all, this is how they summed up. The official center report reads this in two sentences. Physicians, this is the government. This is the official government stance. Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that, the conception, that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is overwhelming argument on this point in countless medical biological, and scientific writings. Now, um, what about the scientists in the room who who disagree? So um, one of the physicians uh, was asked in an interview later, um, okay, well, did anybody else speak up? Why did no one else speak up? And this is what he said. Pro-abortionists, though invited to do so, failed to produce even a single expert witness. One, a single expert witness would uh, uh, specifically testify that life begins at any point other than conception or implantation. Only one witness said this. Well, no one really knows when life begins. Right? So sitting in a circle, they all go around and say, this is when life begins. And the guy goes, well, no one really knows. And all the scientists are like, we just told you when life begins. Okay, um, Now, here's, here's why I, I think this is um, helpful. Because you can watch a five-minute video of Bill Nye, the science guy. Um, and you can somehow be swayed um, by his moronic points and be scared that science is suddenly against you. And yet... Um, even pro-choicers are like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an engineer. Why is he talking? This is like, what he says in this video is so crazy. Um, and, and so he, here's, here's, like, you don't need to be scared. Here's why I, I think I, I need to put this in front of you. Because when Rovers, Rovers Wade, um took place, there was no, like, um, sonograms. We couldn't see into the womb. There was, technology did not afford us to be able to see some of the things that we can see now. Here's, I, I try to sum up the best I could. This is what I'd say. Science tells us that human life begins at the time of conception, which I just argued. From the moment fertilization takes place, the zygote, um, the child's genetic makeup is already complete. Its gender has already been determined along with its height, its hair color, its eye color, its skin color. The only thing that this embryo needs to become a fully functioning being is time to grow and develop. That's it. This is a human life. At eight weeks, um, we have found some pretty amazing things that, that, that we can see now what babies do. At eight weeks, you're, you're, you're still in the first trimester. This is what, what, what we've seen in, 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 as, as, a, as a society, that we can see at eight weeks a baby sucking his thumb, a baby recoils from pricking, the knows there's pain and they recoil from pricking, that a baby at eight weeks responds to sound, all organs are present. The, ba- the brain is functioning, the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidneys are cleaning fluids. There's a fingerprint. There's a fingerprint, man. Keep getting... There's a fingerprint. And at eight weeks beyond that point, 90% of abortions take place. This baby with a tiny fingerprint, its heart is pumping, its brain, it, it knows pain, is sucked out with a vacuum, nerve endings and all. This is an injustice. This is an injustice. And as a church, we are called to stand up to injustice. Yes, race. Yes, immigration laws. Yes, but this is also an injustice. It's, it's, if, if the church doesn't step up, who does, man? Who does? Who fights for those who don't have a voice? The logic drives me crazy. Um, because though we know this scientifically, uh, the fifth point that I think this is important that, that we need to talk about it is ultimately um, our culture, um, even some of our scientists know this, our government all knows this, all this to be true and simply doesn't care because the issue is not about what I've just presented you. The issue is ultimately about the woman and her rights. I uh, try to do my best to argue what, how the logic goes, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but this is what I believe um, to be true and what I see and how the logic goes. If I want my baby, my baby is a person. If I don't want my baby, it is not a person. If I want her, it's illegal to kill her. If I don't want her, it's legal to kill her. Therefore, the personhood of my baby and her right to be protected under law are defined by my sovereign desire. So all this, though we know to be true, can only be classified as personhood if the woman chooses for it to be classified as personhood. Now, we'll get to the woman's rights in a moment, but I, I just need you to understand that a, um, this video of Matt Chandler, a pastor in, in Texas, was, was going around, and I want to read something because it was from this article, So What If Abortion Ends Life? By a woman named Mary Elizabeth Williams, which ironically enough, my laptop auto-corrected to Mary Jezebel Williams, um, uh, says this, um, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberal, liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma, and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a life without having the same rights as the woman in, whom's bo- in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life is what is right for the circumstance, and her health should, be, should automatically, automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity, uh, entity inside of her. Always, period. Do do you hear that? Do you hear what she just said? Yes, I I know it's a life. I get that it's a life. I'm not arguing whether or not it's a life. It's a life, but my rights are more than that baby's rights. Do you you hear what that sounds like? That's Nazi Germany. Do you hear that? That's make the Constitution black people are three-fifths a person. This is crazy. If that baby is a life, it is human. It has value. It has rights. Why are your rights more? Who decides that? This is maddening. This, and and what, what makes this further, now I'm being hot-headed, now what makes this further is the idea that when we, we, we change the subject, because, because, listen, I hear it, and I've been in it multiple times, as, as we're talking about, well, what about the woman's rights? Shouldn't she get to choose? Hear me, listen, what's happened in that moment is, you've changed the subject. You have. Because I'm not arguing about, listen, No one in the pro life goes, I don't want women to have choice. I want to take all their rights from them. And no one in the pro rights or, or pro choice is going, Yeah, I hate life. This is what makes it so crazy. And so for us, we look and go, Listen, I'm not talking about the woman right now. I'm talking about the human inside of the woman right now. That's who I'm talking about. Does that baby have rights? Yes, you have rights. I agree. Does the baby have rights? Does it have value? And if it does, which she affirms it does have life, it is a human, therefore it should have rights. If it does, why is the woman's rights more? Why? Who decides that? Where, how did we arrive? Now listen, um, I, I run into two issues. One, because I, I know this to be true, because if that woman wants to have the baby, it's seen as a child. No one goes to April Miles, who's pregnant right now, or Ariel, wherever Ariel's sitting, and, and they're, they're pregnant, right? And, and, and goes to this woman and goes, hey, how's that, uh, how's that part of your body growing? Like, what are you talking about? You know, that, that part of your body that's growing. The baby? Yeah, yeah, the baby, right? No one refers to babies as like a growth, a tumor. No one does that. We refer to babies as individual, autonomous, separate from the woman when we want the baby. But the woman should get to choose. Now, hear me. This is the women's rights issue. This is where where it tends to be a little frustrating for me because the reality is I am pro-women's rights. In that sense, I am absolutely pro-choice. I I want the woman to be able to to make decisions. I don't think the government should step in. But hear me when I say this. Not all women nor men have the ability to choose to do whatever they want. Go ahead and, and walk yourself naked out of this room and tell me someone doesn't call the police. Tell tell me what choice or decision you have in that moment. If you have all the rights in the world, then why do we not allow you to prostitute your body? I mean, honestly, it's your body. The man wants it. He's giving you funds for it. Why do we as a society make that illegal? Because we have laws. And in that moment, we say, no, a woman cannot do this with her body. But in this instance, this is what it's, I feel like I'm going crazy, man. I feel like this type of argument is so unrooted from thoughtfulness and rationale. It's it's unbelievably frustrating. Let me give you another example and then I'll try to wrap up here. Um, Here's here's the truth. Uh, In 50 states, we have... Um, rights that protect animals from humans. Now, if you don't believe that human is a human inside the womb, you at least have to, to argue that it is something that has value and rights, right? Because you give animals values and rights. So it may it doesn't have to be a human, but you have to deal at least with the fact that it has values and rights. And we have laws that protect people from killing eggs, right? Or, or destroying horses or whatever it is. And if we don't want to say that's a human, it at least has value and rights. Okay, but, but furthermore, in 38 of our 50 states, we have pre, um, what's, I always forget the, the name of this, uh, it's called fetal homicide laws, 38 of our 50 states, and this is basically the argument, that if a woman is, I don't know, let's say five months pregnant, she's driving down the streets, and she's on her way to the abortion clinic, and she's going to have an abortion, um, and on her way, she crosses an intersection, a man runs a red light, hits the side of her car, doesn't hurt her, but jostles her in such a way the baby hits the door and ends up dying, Okay. He can go to jail for involuntary manslaughter because he killed the child within her. But five minutes later, five minutes later, she's on a table being applauded for having the baby sucked out of her vagina. This is crazy. Our laws recognize it. We don't see it. And this is what, like, what propels me to the response. This is like, I can't help it in this moment to do two things. One, grieve. Like, just grieve. Like as a culture, hear me, I'm telling, listen, I'm not trying to be a prophet, but if there is any moment where we're going to be on the wrong side of history, put homosexuality and race aside, because I don't think that's going to be the case. But this, our great, great, great grandbabies are going to look at us and go, what were you thinking? Science is only going to continue to propel the government to question this this all the more. What were you thinking? Grief. The second thing is pray. What's been apparent to me in all of this, as I've kind of shut down and had these conversations and and tried to avoid these conversations, is that because the logic here seems to be so um, egocentric, it seems to be um, autonomous from other reasonable arguments, that it clearly, in my opinion, is demonic. Like, I feel like Satan really has, and I know this sounds super spiritual and weird, but I really feel like Satan has shown his hand a little too much in this area. Like he, he's, he's made it a little too obvious that this many babies, that the most common surgical procedure in America today is, is abortion. And, and, and he's made this too, and, and that it's so disrooted from what our culture normally sees as logic, that it's clear to me that Planned Parenthood is not the issue, that the wor- woman working at the desk is not evil, but there is an evil that is about, that is in the air. There is an evil in the systems in which we live, in the brokenness in which we do the things that we do. So pray. If I can encourage you, Pray. Put a sticky tab on your, your dashboard. I don't care what it is, but pray that God would open the eyes of our leaders. Pray that God would, would change laws in his sovereignty that he would do that. The third thing that I would encourage you to do, and I hope this helps, um, and I'm going to say it whether it's liked or not, um, but I, I think you need to stop believing the lie that your theology should not affect your politics. That has never been the case for Christians. Ever. Has never been the case for Christians. I was, uh, the Kim Davis thing, I was reading some comments, which is always a dumb thing, but I was reading some comments, and this, this guy just put, do your job. Your faith, your private faith has nothing to do with your public work, right? And that's just fundamentally, we just disagree with that outright. That's why we have people come up for all of life interviews. Now listen, I'm not, this is not about Kim Davis. She signed up to do the job, I get it. I'm, my point is this, that the argument seems to be private faith, public life, okay? But, but no other culture has that mentality. Muslims, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, Eastern cultures, nobody, everyone always intermingles. Your faith deeply affects how you vote, how you act, how you work, how you raise your kids. It's just impossible not to. So here's, here's what I'm going to say. The boogeyman of the one-issue um, voter deal, um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm going to tell you how to vote real quick, okay? Um, the, the, the boogeyman of the one-issue voter um, has kind of come out to go like, well, you don't want to be a one-issue voter. And, and I'm not saying you will, but here's my, my problem with that. Let's say there's a guy who just nails it. Let's say there's a dude who Republicans are looking going gun controls. Got it. Immigration's got it. And then the Democrats are looking at uh, legislation. He's got it. Uh, healthcare. He's got it. They're like, everyone's just looking at this guy and just like, yes, this dude is money. Let's say there's 20 different points. Everyone's on board. I don't care. Let's just make this guy president. Forget the voting process. This guy's awesome. Okay. Now let's say that guy exists, right? And he's Jesus. So he does, um, Okay, but let's say he's not Jesus and this guy exists and let's say of all the things that he gets it right but there's this one thing where he says women and minorities should not be allowed to vote and we should stop teaching them how to read. Tell me in that moment that one issue doesn't become the issue. Like, like for us to go, well, it, yes, he could get everything else right but he doesn't think women should be allowed to learn how to read anymore. You would go, dang, no. That one issue would change everything else. Now listen, I'm not saying be a one-issue voter, but here's what I'm saying, and I would strongly encourage you to do this. Let's say there are 20 different categories for, to choose for you how to vote. Millennials, vote. For the love of God, vote. Um, let's say there are 20 categories for you to, 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 to get out and, and, and vote. You have these, you know, legislation, healthcare, whatever it is, and you really have five that you understand well and you care about. Not to say you don't care about the other ones, but you have these kind of five that you're looking for. I'm just encouraging you to make sure that there is six or to make that one of the five. I'm saying, listen, I need this guy needs this, 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 and this. He needs to have this. That's all I'm saying. Find the guy who you can line up, or the girl. Take it easy, Sean. Um, or the, that, that you line up with, okay? Find up whoever you, the person that you line up with, but make this one of the issues as well. This is a big deal, and, and you have an opportunity to step up. Here's the last thing that I'm going to say. I'll read our text that, um, that uh, um, Tyler and Emily did a play for. Um, and so this is... Uh, Um, I would highly encourage you to um, get off the bench and get in the game, okay? Um, I think there needs to be a lot of repentance in the area of um, indifference towards this, that some of you, um, we want to be against abortion, but we don't look at adoption or foster care. Um, we don't look at Choices Pregnancy Center, the New Life Pregnancy Centers. Um, and I know, listen, I'm telling you, I'm a 30-year-old millennial. I'm on the end of this. And in the millennial world, this is the most uncool thing. Because you know what? Um, being pro-life, we are automatically um, connected to guys who are connected uh, with, with uh, signs outside. And they're put on their back or they're walking around abortion. I, listen, I, I get it, man. I get it. But I'm telling you, um, this is a cause biblically worth fighting for. No matter how uncool you feel. And believe me, you feel uncool. When I went to the, the, the protest at the Planned Parenthood, I feel awkward. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm holding a sign, making my, my Corbin hold a sign. He's holding it in front of his face, um, okay? But here's the, the reality, um, every man that we've looked at has come from the church to affect these issues. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II, William Wilberforce in Fighting Slavery, Christian, Martin Luther King looking at um, all the transactional nature of, of interaction between whites and blacks and, and all the, the the rights that blacks get. These were all motivated um, by Christian men, okay? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his uh, in his uh, writings has a great quote. So this is, I'm just going to give you three things. You figure out what you need to do. We either, um, the first thing that politically we need to do as the church is we need to help the state be the state. We need them to to question the state regarding their actions and legitimacy to help the state be as God ordained. Our job as the church is to look at the state and go, we need to help you be the state. He would also say the second thing, aid the victims of the state's action. The church has an unconditional obligation to the victims of an ordinary society, even if they do not belong to the Christian community. So not only are we supposed to help the state be the state, but when the state messes up people, we're supposed to come alongside those people. At that point, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that half the people in the room got up and left. See, when the existence of the church is threatened and the state ceases to exist as defined by God, it is not enough to bandage the victims under the wheel. No, now it is time to put a spike in the wheel itself. Now I'm not calling for mutiny. Let's storm the cat, you know, the Capitol. I'm I'm Katniss. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is we need to understand our role as a church and, and, and and involving ourselves with the state. We we, we need to be smart. We need to quit being foolish and and apathetic and indifferent towards these things. Our passage for today, I'm going to read it. And then we are done. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as God loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. Um, the first thing I want you to notice is love, okay? Everything we're going to talk about, love, love. Facebook posts, love. Conversations, love. The imitators of God. That said, verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is a coveter, that is an idolater, or a covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is something we don't like to really talk about in the church, but there is in us-them. There is a way that the church does things, and there is a way that society, the world, does things. And he, in this moment, is saying, the world does things like this. Don't do things like that, okay? The first thing, in love, don't do things like that. But he goes on to continue, um... Verse seven, therefore, do not become partaker, uh, become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the, the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. so not only are we not supposed to do what the world, the system, the way that the world does things, but we have a system of our own we 're supposed to walk in truth and light we 're supposed to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, so they have a thing, we have a thing now uh, you under, you know how much the secular, secular divide we, we push against that redemption, but I want to make it clear. There is a way that they do things, and there's a way that we are told to do things, right? But then he goes on, and it makes it even harder on us. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is even shameful, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So not only are we not supposed to do what they do, not only do we have a way that we're supposed to do things, we are supposed to Expose them. William Wilberforce, slavery is wrong. Expose it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what you're doing to the Jews is wrong. Expose it. Martin Luther King, the way you are treating African Americans is wrong. Expose it. Hear me. Hear me. Abortion is wrong. It's murder. Expose it. Expose it. i leave you with this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Silence in the face is evil. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful, God, for the opportunity to be able to come here. And um, this is a really sucky topic to talk about. Um, A lot of our friends don't want anything to do with um, this conversation. And we become outliers in some ways. And I just, I pray that you would give us boldness that we would not be cowardly in these areas, but we would step up to the plate and we would, we would fight for the least of these. Those who don't have a voice, that you've shown even the world that they are humans, that they live, they are, they are inside of someone, but they are their own being. You've given them a soul. You fill them with the Holy Spirit and we kill them. Help us be bold with this. Please, Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower us to make the right decisions, whether it be stepping into areas of adopting someone who f- would who, who otherwise be aborted or, or stepping in areas to help someone foster to adopt or, or, or giving, freeing up finances to, to give to, to organizations that are, are for this cause. God, I pray that this argument would be um, washed in your blood, that things would be seen clearly, that not all pro-lifers are are hating women's choices and and not all pro-choicers hate life, that that we would come to an understanding and that we would slowly but surely um, walk in the ways in which you have called us to walk and that the church would not be reluctant to, to continue to be in it but not of it, that we would continue to make a stand and draw a line in the sand, but at the same time be desperately involved in relationship with those who disagree with us help us do this well. We love you, God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we are grateful for your sovereignty in all of this, that it doesn't lie on our backs, so though you call us to step in, that you're the one in control of all things. Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.